0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com/excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, episode 22.
1: This is Writing Excuses project in depth of noble family, 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry and we're not that smart. I'm Brandon, I'm Howard, I'm Mary, I'm Dan. And we are talking about Mary's book. Yay! Yay. Your book is out. <laughs> wow, we're so enthusiastic. I know. Yay! Well, I'm,
0: I'm slightly hesitant because it's always, being in the hot seat is always an interesting spot to be.
1: Yes, but you wrote a book.
0: I wrote a book. I wrote the last book in my series. Yes. Aww. Is, Aww. Yeah, I know. I, it's funny because I actually did go through a little bit of a mourning period, which I was not expecting. Mm. Um.
1: So we're going to talk about this. Um, We're going to talk about the writing of it, specifically the world building and Mm -hmm. the magic. Um, But really, this is a fascinating project for you. So I want to delve into a lot of different things. Um, I'm going to ask you first about the research, which is not regarding the magic specifically. Um, Did you have to do more research for this book than your previous ones in the series?
0: Yes. Uh, So one of the things about this book, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about why – some things that caused me to write it, is that I had – you know, I, I, we say these are like Jane Austen with magic, and Jane Austen's novel, Mansfield Park, Sir Thomas goes to Antigua and slavery is mentioned and he comes back, but he's gone for a year. Mm. And for a reader of Austen's era, there's actually a lot of stuff where she is dealing with slavery issues head on. But for a modern reader,
1: yeah, it's. It,
0: it, you know, it, it feels it, like
1: it's dodging the issue a bit.
0: It completely feels like it's dodging the issue. So, um, this is contemporary with that. Mm-hmm. So, I decided that for this novel, I was going to send Jane and in- Vincent to Antigua and not dodge the issue.
2: Well, and that's during the same period that in uh, in Great Britain. We saw the, the slavery abolition movement, right?
0: Right. Well, s- slavery, um, exactly. So slav- the slavery abolition was going on um, and had been going on. It probably actually would have been overturned in the 1780s or 90s, but for bad pol- parliamentary management. And this is all stuff that I learned during the uh-huh. research project <laughs> uh, process. Um, slave trade was abolished in 1804. Uh, but slavery itself was not abolished until 1834. This novel takes oh, well. place in 1818.
1: And as I understand, I could be wrong here. Wasn't it abolished first on the island? But you could still have slaves outside of the island. Is that what's happened already? That's uh,
0: that, uh, when on you say the island, England. England yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes and no. Mm. Uh, there had been several rulings, which. Lawyers used to argue that slavery had been abolished in England, but it had not formally been okay. abolished. In it was England. till the 30s. Right.
1: Okay, so you had to do research about this. And you are, like, this is, this is in some ways the scary thing for a writer, in my opinion. I think this is the scariest thing to do, which is there's the write what you know. Mm-hmm. And in some ways that's easy. Um, there's the write what you've made up and mm-hmm. no one can challenge you on. And in some ways, you know, the world building of that is hard, but the writing of it can be very easy. And then there's this middle ground where you're going to be taking your fantastical or your story, and you're going to be taking it to something that other people know better than you. Yeah. And you're going to be writing it, and that's terrifying.
2: Yes. And I, I want to I dive in on that, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but I want to ask a question because mm-hmm. there is a moment in the book where... Uh, our uh, our protagonist Jane is talking with Nicaruga Nicaragua, Nicaragua, about glamour, mm-hmm. and they don't share a vocabulary. And Nicaragua says, "You know, you use you use these descriptions as if it's fabric. That's limiting the way you use it." Well, what do you call it? And she rattles off a series of syllables that you don't translate for me. Right? Did you researched those and you made up words for magic in African, didn't you?
0: not quite okay uh what i did and this gets into the research thing i knew that there were going to be a lot of areas that i was going to have a big blind spot um and areas that no amount of research was going to be able to cover and a lot of that has to do with cultural nuance mm-hmm. so um nikaruka is a uh is an ebo speaker who is an enslaved african in antigua mm-hmm. um I researched, I I actually sat down and started a tutorial on Igbo and I was like, (laughs) yeah, this is not going to, um, not going to, I'm going to be able to ask for water and directions to the bathroom and that's not actually going to be helpful for the novel. So what I did, um, for is I put out a call for a native Igbo speaker to help me come up with the glamour terms. And I wrote to her and I said, this is what I am describing, and I had used Google Translate
1: mm-hmm. and
0: came up with, and I said, so these are the things that I came up with, Google Translate. Um, I don't want to use them because for all I know, I have just asked Google Translate to give me the terms yeah. for something really unspeakable. And um, and she went through and she said, well, we wouldn't say it this way, we'd say it this way. One, she actually left alone and mm. liked. But she talked about um, how ebo is a much more... Poetic language than English, and that some of the things instead of using just a single
2: word, you would actually use an entire phrase to describe so with a uh, rhyme or some symmetry or something in it where the poetry evoked more meaning than just the words would
0: there's a lot of that there's a lot of the um, you know connection to uh, to, to living things mm-hmm. uh, so she she went through and um, and and did that. I did the same thing because, the the book is set as I said in Antigua. And aside from Jane and Vincent and a couple of recurring characters at the beginning and end of the novel, uh, one or two planters, the vast majority of the characters that you are en- encountering in the novel are not British, but people of color and enslaved people of color in Antigua. So I, um, I put out a call and uh, hired an, an Antiguan editor and writer to go through things with me. Uh, her name is Joanne Hillhouse, and she was amazing. Um, so what we did with her was I, we sat down and had conversations about mm-hmm. uh, some general stuff, and then I sent her chapters. She rewrote all of the dialect for me. Mm. So I made a stab at it. Um, but I was again not going to be able to come up with something right. And
1: you use a fair amount of dialect. in oh, this. Oh yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I'm. It is not, and I don't. I
2: loved it the first time I hit it. The, yeah, it, it, that was that was mm-hmm. delightful.
0: And that was a big choice to make too, about deciding to. We when Joanne and I were talking, she said, you know, she she describes it as uh, there's the language of the heart which is the, the dialect that you speak at home with friends and family. And then, then you do, I mean, we, we do uh, code switching. Everybody does code switching where you, you, mm-hmm. you change. And, and so she said that for American readers, if she has the characters speaking completely the language of the heart, completely Antiguan Creole dialect, American readers will probably not be able to understand it. And uh, I talked about it with my editor, Liz Gorinsky, and we decided to go ahead and, and do that because we have we were dealing with a culture that is already erased so much
2: mm-hmm. that
0: contributing to that right. was, was not something that I wanted to do. But knowing then that my readers would have difficulty...
1: But you also had a character who could act as an interpreter. Exactly. For the... For for Jane and you Vincent, have exactly um, that collision.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I don't understand what you said. Yep, and yeah, yeah, and so I,
0: but I had to make that a design choice. Yeah, I, I, I really had to, uh, and it's not just giving the the reader the, um, you know this is what this means. It's giving the reader permission to feel comfortable with not understanding something.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's like it's okay that you don't understand it. She wasn't speaking to
1: you. Well, it, may, it actually works really well um, because we feel as out of place as mm-hmm. Jane. She's the one that's interacting with these. And, I mean, she, she feels completely like where, what's going on? I can't, I can't interact with people. I can't, um, I, it's really tough for me. And um, beyond that, you've, you've, um, it's not that much of a spoiler. She's pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And in these books, she can't use glamour. Right. During this time. And so she's cut off from her, her magic. Um, she's cut off from, you know, society. She's trying to understand, but she can't speak the language. It's, it's, you really feel alone at some point, points of this book.
0: And, and that was something that I was really going for, that sense of isolation. Um, while at the same time making sure that I was also showing that, uh, that Jane was still operating from a place of privilege. Yes. Like she makes assumptions... Mm-hmm. Constantly, based on being a privileged white middle-class British woman, right. and forgetting that that
2: she is dealing with people who are enslaved, and she keeps stumbling right. she over keeps that. She keeps making mistakes about that. Mm-hmm. But what's nice is that the position that she's in is not. Uh, yes, she's privileged, but she's not privileged and uh, and. Completely blind to it, she's able to walk the periphery, and by being able to walk the periphery, you are able to show us both the privileged POV and the uh, and the enslaved one. Yeah, and and that journey that journey was neat. Yeah, I really
1: like how you were able to show a lot of the native um, Antigans being strong individuals and strong characters, but still part of this society. And mm-hmm. so we don't have um, anachronisms and we don't have the uh, the noble savages. We have real characters, complex characters who are trapped in this system as much as in some ways Jane is trapped in the yeah. system.
0: Now, this is actually one of the things that was interesting when I, I started working on this book, um, being part of the system. When you're, when you're looking at You know the same books in the series where they're set in England. There's servants all around, Uh and I never name them. Yep, I don't call them out very often. But in this book, I'm like every single servant had to have a name because the point of this is that these people are not background people. Uh Everything's you know England's entire sugar industry was supported on the backs of people who were considered invisible by a lot of society and still are
3: so so at what point in your research and maybe it was it was long before the research um, let me rephrase the question then to what extent did uh, the research and your goals for the story affect each other so <laughs> Huge at, as you were writing and decided oh I need to add more social issues into this or was it I'm really fascinated by these social issues and therefore I need to, to research more about them.
0: Um, so talking about this without huge spoilers. Um, I mean, we, in in project in depth, we, we do go spoilery frequently, but one of the, um, one of the things, so I I knew that I knew going into it that I wanted to deal with slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, and, Uh, And I knew going into it that I wanted to be in Antigua and that I wanted to avoid uh, the noble savage trope, the white man saves the day. I wanted to avoid these things. And so my original plot, the thing I sent to tour, uh, ended with a slave rebellion um, and uh, things going up in flames and this whole thing, um, which was going to be this very dramatic Exciting conclusion. And then I started researching, and I had picked Antigua because of Jane Austen, and I'd already sent Lord Verberry there and said that's right. where the family estates were. It's locked and it's cannon. Mm-hmm. So I start researching and discover that at this point there are 40 naval bases on Antigua. <laughs> this is an island that's 36 miles.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: 40 naval bases. It was Britain, Britain's biggest naval base. This is like Lord Nelson's shipyard is there. It There is no there, there's way... There's no
3: successful slave rebellion.
0: Even it, like if I throw magic into the mix mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I could see how to make it happen, there's no way Britain would let them hold it. Yeah. Like, right, so I'm going to have a series that ends with blood and then more blood and then the promise of additional blood later. Yeah. And I, I was like, I can't, that's and not... And depression. And depression. And that's mm-hmm. not the series yes. you're writing. And that's not the series I'm writing. I'm like, I... This is the last book I actually have to not do that. So, um, But the discovery of the 40 naval bases uh, made me wind up having a lot more uh, of some military pressure go on that I wasn't originally planning. Um, And then also one of the other things that I had not planned at all to deal with, I mean, Jane was pregnant, but I was not actually going to deal with... um, a lot of the childbirth issues mm. until I was reading, and I'm sorry that I didn't grab the title of the book before we started, uh, but we'll, we'll put it in the liner notes. Um, but I was reading a book about uh, the enslaved populations in the Caribbean at this time, and Antigua in particular had an incredibly low birth rate. Mm. And the planters of the day were not sure why it was happening. Um, probably, you know, it was people using abortificants to, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and other things, but a lot of it was malnutrition today. Even we're still not completely sure why, Mm -hmm. but I wound up because of that. And because Jane is pregnant, um, I wound up introducing, uh, an enslaved woman who was also pregnant and using that, uh, the, the differences in station and expectations, uh, which I was not planning on doing.
2: We should stop for the book of the oh, week. Oh, yes. Now, um, <laughs> listeners... Big surprise on the book of the week. Yeah,
1: we... Um, I do want to do, I forgot to warn at the beginning. We The uh, project in-depth weeks are double-length weeks. We always go longer on that. So um, despite the fact we're stopping for the book of the week at 15 minutes, we will keep talking after this. <laughs> um, the book of the week is Of Noble Family <laughs> <laughs> by Mary Robinette, co-read by...
0: By me and two other narrators. Uh, so the other th- books, the other four books in the series, are all narrated by just me. And uh, given what I have said about the, the, the books, I looked at it and like I would be the wrong person to narrate this book because of the number of characters of color. And so I, you know, any attempt for me to learn an Antiguan accent mm-hmm. is going to sound like a caricature. I'm not going to be able to get the nuances, particularly with the number of characters. So Audible. Uh, was fantastic, and what they did was they told me that I could have two additional narrators. So I have Robin Miles, who is voicing all of the female characters, and I have Prentice Onayemi, who is voicing all of the male characters, which means that you will actually get to hear Vincent with a male voice at this point. Um, I say she's voicing all the female characters. I'm still doing Jane and uh, Melody. Um, But it's... It's really nice to be able to have... We're trying to do a, a full cast sound.
1: Excellent. And they can get that by going to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial and download a noble of Noble Family. If you haven't um, read any of Mary's books before, perhaps download one of the earlier ones. Um, though you... You know, I've read... These books, you can really jump in almost anywhere. They are yeah. written very. Um, they, of course, they continue, but very standalone-ish. Um, you you prep people at the beginnings really well.
0: I try to write them all as standalones. So if if you felt like you wanted to read one other, I would pick up Without a Summer, and mm-hmm. then you could jump Valor and Vanity. Although it's a heist novel. Uh, it's great. It's my
1: but,
2: favorite of yeah. them. Yeah,
0: but you you can't. trick
2: tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that pleases me so much. <laughs> uh, if I can, uh, if I can say something, the, uh, the the we we talked about the world building mm. angles here, um, and we talk a lot about how in science fiction the science is a character. Mm-hmm. In uh, in some sorts of fantasies, the magic is a character. Mm-hmm. I loved the exploration of the character of the magic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this this uh, language barrier was a tool that allowed you to describe the magic to the reader in a way that you couldn't have mm-hmm. if if <clears throat> it had just been if it had just been Jane or if it had just been Vincent yeah. describing it to us.
0: Yeah, and a lot of times in these books, I will just have them toss out a piece of jargon to the other, and and my intention there is, you know. Look, they're talking. This is their, their oh, the see, competency. Oh, technical. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is competency porn. They're talking, and nobody else understands what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's design state. Um, with this one, because I, I was dealing with a lot of aspects of glamour that I, I don't normally deal with. Uh, there's a scene on a, on a sailing ship, uh, and and this was actually prompted because my dad was like, "Really, sailors aren't doing anything with glamour?" I mean, I'm like, "Well, you can't do glamour at sea," and he's like, "Yeah, but." You know, when you're fiddling, I mean, and so...
1: It makes him, it, it has it, a reaction.
0: And, and so I sat there and I was like, he's completely right. Even if you can't create images,
1: mm-hmm. they would
0: still play around with it. And so I created something um, called Lightworks, which are basically, it's a game the sailors play where they, they try to see, since you can't do glamour at sea, they try to see how long they can sustain a line of glamour. Uh, and, and the one who gets, you know, who sustains it long enough wins. Um, so that was fun.
1: Well, that was really good, actually, because one of the things you're doing in this book is you're introducing new aspects of the magic um, as the um, people from Africa have been doing mm-hmm. magic differently. Um, and so what this does is it introduces us to the concept that though our two characters are experts In their realm of understanding, Mm -hmm. there are holes in their understanding of this magic that are culturally based. And when we see the sailors doing it, it opens us up to the idea that, wow, when we get to Antigua and they're doing magic differently there, it Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense to us.
0: One of the things we've arranged with Tor is for me to actually post an excerpt of the scene with the sailing on the Writing Excuses website. So you guys will be able to read the scene that we're talking about with the, the glamour and the sailors and stuff
3: so just knowing you as i do um how many other cultures have you kind of sketched out of this is how they do it in china Mm -hmm. and this is how they do it in india like
0: um i've i've gone through loose really loosely i mean one of the ways that i deal with world building is i think about it enough to make sure that the pieces are going to connect that like that they're roughly in proportion to each other Mm -hmm. but i don't start fleshing it in until I start writing it, because sometimes I don't know the pieces that I need. Um, so I've figured out uh, how um, glamour works roughly uh, in the Ottoman Empire. Um, the, uh, the Islamic influence means that the, the formal, uh, formal glamour is uh, generally non-figurative. Um, although not always and that mm-hmm. so so things like that um, I, I there there's certain aspects that I, I've thought through uh, I've thought through how it works in the American South um, the Puritans uh, regard anything in which you attempt to create a false semblance as uh, immodest
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, trying to so which is very accurate <clears throat> so uh, glamour is discouraged in the United States. Um, well uh and uh, so so I've gone through things like that i've I've thought more about the cultural aspects mm-hmm. right. of glamour than I have specifically about the mechanics yeah. in some ways well, and the
3: the mechanics of it uh, the way the uh the African slaves do it, what I loved about that is that it was not just different words for stuff mm-hmm. they literally interact with it and connect with it on a completely different level
0: yeah, and this was based a lot on um On two things. Uh, One is I was an art major in college and the other is my puppetry background. And so a lot of the times when I'm modeling the way Mm -hmm. glamour behaves, what I'm looking at is how painting and puppetry is handled in in other cultures. Uh, You know, we like painting in in Europe was doing something very different in this time and And the react- the, the relationship to it, the tools that you used, all of this is very, very different than when you go to other places uh, likewise puppetry in some places you know in in Europe, puppetry is pretty much just um, at this point it's it's just entertainment, but in mm-hmm. other places puppetry is reserved for religious purposes so it's it, it's looking at that and looking at how those things connect and why they connect that way. And then trying to extrapolate, well, if, if this existed in that same frame, how would it connect and how would it fit in with
2: those things? One of the, one of the problems that uh, I run across all the time is when I think of a thing that my technology, my, my gee whiz could be used for that would be really cool in a story, but nobody's used it for that yet. And I need to figure out why not. Mm -hmm. and your solution to that the uh uh we we already talked about it well you know you keep talking about it like it's fabric Mm -hmm. you know that's that's limiting you yeah um the way that you've been taught the way you've been trained frames how you see the world
1: and it's completely believable that and particularly as these characters interact and they both have trouble understanding mm -hmm. each other's it's not just you know where it would go wrong is if you know, the, you, you meet these slaves and they're better at in all aspects. Right. That's not how it is. It is your training, your yeah. learning informs how you use this stuff. And it's not till two people meet together and really start discussing it that each one is able to understand the other's way.
0: Yeah, and I did try to make sure that they each had a moment where one of them would do something and the other's like, wait, 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 how did you do that? Mm-hmm. I, I need to. I need to know that because that's really cool.
1: I also wanted to mention something else about this. Um, Writing-wise, for those of uh, you listeners out there, this is an excellent way to um, make your magic system have more um, variety to it, to more depth to it. Is mm-hmm. really what I, I'm looking I'd at. I'd say more breadth. More breadth, without just adding a bunch of new things to it, yeah. is by showing another culture. Um, allowing it to be fresh again to some people and some aspects of it be fresh to your main characters can, at the um, risk of abusing a phrase, refresh mm-hmm. this to your reader um, and to yourself as a writer to make your magic new again.
0: Yeah. One thing that I, I want to mention, uh, because this was one of my favorite world-building aspects, um, there's uh, something that they call fire threads, which is, is UV light. And... Um, and one of the things that was interesting for me about this was coming up with the phrase fire." So infrared I call nether red. And that's perfectly, my feeling was, the, the challenge with fire is that um, they become, in, in the real world, we become aware of ultraviolet light in I think 1804 or mm-hmm. 7, some, but, and it's called oxidizing rays. The problem that I ran into, so I, I had a perfectly mm-hmm. appropriate period word but what I figured was that in the glamorous histories universe, people would have known about ultraviolet and infrared for much, right. much longer because of the way they manipulate
1: mm-hmm. the spectrum. They know a lot more about light. Yes, I noticed some of the technical jargon about light is is years ahead of its time.
0: Uh, it's not actually okay. Yeah, all of the wave and particle stuff. Mm-hmm. No, that's Newtonian. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it, but it's fun because we, mm-hmm. you know, we think about it as being very, very modern, but um but but the the spectrum because they mm-hmm. can actually see the spectrum mm-hmm. and they can manipulate it so they're aware of these things so i knew that there had to be a word that was older older like oxidizing rays was not going to work because right. they were called oxidizing rays because the only part they could see was that it oxidized things right so i had to sit down and think about okay what is it used for how does it interact how long has it been around when did they become aware of it. And I talked to Michael Livingston, who is a medieval scholar. Right. And he, um, and we went back and forth and he suggested, um, since it's ultraviolet, uh, and there would, and I described what it would look like to a uh which is kind of a purple black, not color. And um, he suggested porphyry, which is a very old word for, purple and it's called porphyry because you got purple from the shells of porphyry, porphyry, mm, yeah. 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 Porf- yeah. snails. snails. Um, and I was like, that's great because porphyry over the years would easily corrupt to poor fire. And since ultraviolet light, by the time you get to in Britain, they think it's really only good for making things glow and it dissolves very quickly. So it's a poor fire. Mm-hmm.
2: And I was like, this this works so Nether well. red is way warmer. Yeah. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so that was a lot of fun. And then the other thing that I did was, uh, you know, UV light is very useful for mm-hmm. uh, infecting wounds. And so I let the characters in Africa interact with it in a completely different way. And use it as something called a spirit bower for disinfecting. But the people were saying, oh, no, no, that's not that. That's just superstition. It doesn't work.
3: Yeah. This is on a completely different topic. And I know we don't have a lot of time left, but very quickly, I wanted to ask um, if you can answer this without spoilers. There's so much crammed into this book. How did you balance the needs to tell all of this new story while still serving as a wrap up to the series?
0: Well, I, I mean, what I was focused on was the story itself, uh, the the family issues. That was the thing uh, that these, these series has always been about family and relationship, um, and so that was that was the thing that I was uh, interested in. So what I kept my attention on was um, was really what needed to happen, and these other things, uh, all of these other social issues and stuff. Are things that can put stress on my characters, but they are not, and they can create conflicts. Um, but it, it really, what it's doing is it is informing the way my characters are reacting to the conflicts, and the way they react, and that that uh, dialogue between those two things illuminates the social issues that I want to talk about. If I just
2: said I'm going to talk about slavery is bad, that would be a really dull. Book. All of my notes in the margins in the uh, arc that you're going to make me give back. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think I got bacon grease in it. I'm sorry. Okay, that's um, okay. I'll I'll auction it off as oh. Howard Bacon grease. <laughs> um, uh, all of my notes were, you know, I'm reading about the magic. I'm reading about the magic. This is fascinating. And then there was character conflict. And then there was social conflict. And I was already engaged. It was not preaching to me. It was just washing right over me as part of the story, and I, I loved that. I made lots of little marks every oh, cool. time it happened. It was, it was cool. Well, this is a fantastic book. You should all read it. Thank um, you. Or have it read have to it you. Read, or you should have already
1: read it, really, to listen to this, because we gave you a warning. But if you haven't, you can pick it up. We want to uh, thank Mary. It's always difficult to be in the hot seat, and you had to talk for a half hour while we just kind of <laughs> sat <laughs> here just and ate bacon. Here. Um, <laughs> not really, but we wished we were. Um, But, Dan, you have some homework for us. Yes. Your homework today is
3: to do kind of a version of what Mary did with this story. We want you to take something common that, uh, you know, an activity or an object that you are familiar with, and then have a character describe it to someone with a completely different frame of reference, whether that person is from another culture or from another planet, uh, whatever it is, so that they have to describe it without using the common words that we all fall back on. This
1: has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of